I don't think that this campaign finance thing is going to be the central issue in the Michael Cohen case. I think there are far broader, far bigger crimes that have been committed, and that if they got that search warrant, it wasn't for the campaign finance question. You could see this as a conspiracy to violate the campaign finance laws. I don't think that's such a reach. You know, again, we have to make sure all the facts are in place, but I think that's a theory that, to me, is plausible. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites. Uh, I'm also a contributing columnist to Above the Law. And I'm Craig Williams coming to you from a Southern California site that is in the midst of burning down, uh, along with a lot of other fires here in California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called The Sled. And well, sorry to hear those those fires are making their way towards you, Craig, and I, I hope you're hope you're going to be safe uh, and well. Uh, before we introduce today's topic, let me just take a moment to thank our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. And Bob, back in 2016, four months before a presidential election, attorney Michael Cohen secretly recorded a conversation with his client, Donald Trump, discussing the payment to a former Playboy model, Karen McDougal, who alleged she had an affair with Mr. Trump. According to court filings, federal prosecutors received 12 audio recordings from the material seized by the FBI during searches of Cohen's office. These recordings bring up a myriad of legal issues regarding uh, attorney-client privilege and secret recording, but they also broach the question of whether the content of the recordings could serve as evidence of federal campaign finance law violations. And Bob, today on Lawyer to Lawyer to do that, we're going to discuss these Michael Cohen tapes. We're going to take a look at the legal ethics issues, attorney-client privilege, campaign finance law, the impact of these tapes and perhaps some other tapes that may have come out, and what lies ahead for Attorney Cohen and the president. To uh, help us look at these issues, we have two guests joining us today. First of all, let me introduce attorney and professor Rebecca Royfi from New York Law School. Rebecca worked as an assistant district attorney in the New York County District Attorney's Office, where she prosecuted money laundering, securities fraud, and corporate crime. She studies the history of the legal profession, focusing on the interaction between lawyers' work and the rhetoric or ideals of professionalism. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rebecca Royfi. Thank you so much for having me. And our next guest is attorney and professor Ben Gershman from Pace Law. While in private practice, he specialized in criminal defense litigation. A former prosecutor with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office for six years, he's the author of numerous articles, as well as two books on prosecutorial and judicial ethics. He served for four years with the special state prosecutor investigating corruption in the judicial system. He is one of the nation's leading experts on prosecutorial misconduct. Welcome to our show, attorney Bennett Gershman. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. 
Well, let's start out with a bit of an overview of uh, what the situation is. And Bennett, let's turn to you first to kind of give us a scenario of what has actually happened and what's out in the public and what we know. We know that uh, Michael Cohn taped a conversation with Donald Trump involving payment that apparently was being made by the National Enquirer to a woman named McDougal, who had a long-term affair with Donald Trump. This payment was intended to keep her silent and not to talk about this shortly before the election because it obviously would be a serious embarrassment to Donald Trump. So this payment was made by the National Enquirer, and uh, it was, as I said, it was intended to keep her, her quiet. And Donald Trump and Michael Cohen were talking about how to make the payment to McDougal through the National Enquirer. And that was basically the substance of the conversation, discussing hush money and how to uh, keep it quiet. And as I say, this was shortly before the election, and conceivably it was done in order to prevent embarrassing uh, event to Trump. And conceivably it could be considered a campaign contribution. It was money that was, in effect, going to Trump's campaign to help assist him in his campaign. And that was the substance of the conversation between uh, Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer, and, and Donald Trump. It was a short conversation, and they discussed how the payment should be made, whether by check or by cash, and who else should be involved in uh, making the accounting for this particular payment. But it's obviously a payment that is of, of great significance, certainly in terms of Michael Cohen's ethical conduct, and certainly in terms of whether or not this involved a conspiracy between Donald Trump and Michael Cohen and the National Enquirer and its uh, owner, David Pecker, to violate campaign finance laws. So it's got criminal implications and also ethical implications uh, with respect to uh, Michael Cohen. There have been a lot of questions raised about Cohen's recording this conversation and, and other conversations. But Rebecca, I, w- I wonder as a, as a former prosecutor whether you have any thoughts about the seizure of the recordings in the first place. I mean, it, was the FBI uh, in its rights to, to go in and raid Trump's lawyer's office and uh, other locations and, and seize the recordings that, a, that an attorney made uh, between uh, himself and his client? Well, the thing about an FBI search warrant is that in order to get one, you need a fairly good case and substantial evidence. And in a case that's this high profile, you would need, I'm sure any prosecutor would make sure that they had a lot of evidence before they even went to the court. Plus, there are special processes and protocols you have to go through when you are going to a lawyer's office, which you have to comply with up the ladder through the Department of Justice, which they did. So it seems like this is particularly a case in which we've had so many institutions have their eyes on this that we have to be pretty sure that the FBI was, and the prosecutors who were supervising the FBI, had quite substantial evidence before they went in there in order to get that search warrant and execute it. What were your thoughts uh, when you first heard that Cohen, as the lawyer for President Trump, had been recording their conversation, secretly recording their conversations. Did that raise any red flags for you? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's 
quite unusual. I suppose it's becoming more common than it once was, but I think it's still quite unusual. Clients expect that their lawyers are taking notes. Their lawyers may be taking very careful and very detailed notes. But I think it's a serious question whether clients expect that their lawyers would be recording their conversations word for word. So I think, one, it's unusual. And two, I think it's a kind of risky practice to be engaged in and one that's really not advisable. That's sort of a separate question from whether or not it's unethical, but I think it's unusual and definitely a bad idea. And, you know, there's another question here, which is, how much did he even really know that this was happening? Because Cohen's attorney, Lanny Davis, has claimed that this was his practice. He did it with all his clients. He did it all the time. He would put his phone up on the table and press record. Sometimes they would see him do that. Sometimes they wouldn't. So if it's the case that the clients knew this was going on, then there are no ethical implications, I think, because a client could simply ask the lawyer not to do it or very, very reduced concern from an ethical perspective because the whole issue with these secret recordings is the question of deception. And so that's the big question looming over this, which is, is it deceptive in the first place to record somebody when they don't know that you're recording them? And then in these particular circumstances, was it deceptive? So those are two question marks that, one, it's just unclear from the perspective of the ethical rules and the ethical opinions in New York. And the other one, we need some more facts to know exactly what happened and what were the expectations. Well, President Trump has said in the past that if you're not doing anything illegal, then you don't have anything to worry about if you're being investigated and so forth. So as funny as it may sound, is that a legitimate defense for Cohen to raise at this point. He didn't care. I mean, I wouldn't raise that defense because I think there are reasons why you might want to keep things private that have nothing to do with whether or not they're illegal. And a client may talk about a lot of embarrassing and personal details with their lawyer that they wouldn't want revealed. And I feel like it would be, of course, his words could be used against him in this particular way. But I think lawyers actually have to be better than that. And there are real reasons why a client would be concerned about a verbatim recording of what they said being out there, even if it's protected, um, you know, in the lawyer's office, you know, most frequently by the, by the attorney-client privilege. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, in a way, it's this whole issue along with this case and the Mueller investigation, there's like a legal battle and there's a public relations battle. And so I think what you just raised is a very good point in the public relations battle. I, I wouldn't rely on it in the legal battle if I were, or the ethical battle if I were a lawyer. If there is consent, open by the client on the tape in the beginning and at the end that there was full disclosure. Are there any issues? I don't think there are any issues. I think if this client consents, that's not a problem. It's not a problem. I mean, you may want to say that the lawyer needs to explain to them what the liabilities might be, you know, what the concerns might be before they get the consent. But otherwise, no, that the main concern here is, is about the question of deception. Um, and possibly a duty of diligence or loyalty to your client. Is there a separate issue here, though, of attorney-client privilege? I mean, if the client consents to being recorded by the attorney, uh, that consent to being recorded doesn't waive the attorney-client privilege. But as I understand it, in this case, uh, President Trump's legal team has actually gone that next step and said they would waive any any claims to attorney-client privilege in these recordings. Why would they do that? Bennett, any thoughts on, on that? Well, they, they probably expected that it would come out at some point, and therefore they maybe wanted to be ahead of the uh, issue and show that they were uh, transparent 
they didn't have anything to worry about and uh, because they, they expected this to happen. That's my guess. But I think it's important to see that there are separate issues here. The, the, the attorney-client privilege is very much a separate issue from the conduct of Cohn in taping his client, even if there is no attorney-client privilege for different reasons, whether it was waived or whether there wasn't an attorney-client relationship. And that's a possible question here also. The fact that Cohn taped his client, to me, is, as Rebecca says, this is deceptive The client, if the client doesn't know it. And this is, I think, a serious infringement of the attorney-client relationship and the attorney's duty of loyalty to his client. I mean, attorneys tape witnesses, that's true. Uh, and that happens a lot. But I, I think it's more than unusual for an attorney to record conversations with a client. I think that's uh, extraordinarily unusual. And this gives us you know, a chance to, to, to talk about the, the ethics of it. I mean, certainly a lawyer can tape a client if the lawyer is acting, for example, as an agent of the prosecution. If the lawyer is caught, he knows his client is engaged in criminal conduct. I can see there the lawyer taping it, but there the lawyer is authorized by law to take the conversation. But here there, there was nothing like that. Isn't New York a one-party consent state? Yes, it's true. New York, it's not illegal to tape another person. But a lawyer, lawyers have you know, different responsibilities and ethical duties than your ordinary uh, individual. You know, uh, a private citizen can tape another person without violating any law. But a lawyer owes higher duties than your ordinary citizen to a client and to the profession. I think that's absolutely true, your last comment. I think the question of taping is a little more unclear than you suggest in that the ABA used to say it was absolutely unethical, and then they shifted positions. And when they shifted positions in 2001, the bar said, reserve the question of taping a client because the committee was divided on whether or not it would be ethical to do so. And New York bar associations are divided on this issue. So you have the New York County bar saying one thing and the New York City bar saying another. The New York County bar has said it's absolutely fine, even if it's a client. And the New York City bar has said it's never okay to tape anybody unless it's in society's interest to do so. So I think this is an issue that's really unclear. And when there's an ethical issue that's unclear, there's no chance that Cohen would be disciplined for doing this. No chance. I mean, if, there, if it's this unclear as to whether it's okay or not, I, you know, I don't think he's in trouble in that regard. But, you know, I agree with Bennett in terms of, you know, it's a very dangerous thing to do and probably not a good idea. Um, and why wouldn't you reveal the fact that you were doing it? There are only narrow set of circumstances where I think it would be okay. And those are ones that would probably fall into the New York City bar's language, which is when it's in society's interest. So, in other words, if Cohen felt that his services were being used for criminal purposes for, in order to commit a crime, I think almost everybody would say, or at least a lot of people would say, under those circumstances, it may be okay to tape somebody. Well, I guess there are other, others who might say you should just withdraw from the representation. But if you feel like your services had been used for criminal purposes, maybe it would be okay to tape under those circumstances. But it's just far from clear, I think, at this point. But under those circumstances, you're dealing with another ethical question, and that is whether or not Cohn is engaged in a conflict of interest. Because if he's representing Trump and he's taping to protect himself, if he feels that he's being used, then he's placing his own personal interests above the interests of his client, above the interests of the profession by taping that conversation. It's a conflict of interest to place your own personal or political interests you know, above 
interested as other lawyers. If he's just doing it out of concern, let's say he's not sure, he's not, he's just, he's got some concerns and he's going to put this in some file where it will be protected forever, but, you know, just in case, you know, he doesn't want to get caught up in this criminal activity, he has that file somewhere, at which point obviously he would withdraw because the conflict would become clear. I mean, again, the best practice, I think, would be under those circumstances to just withdraw from the representation, but, you know, I, I can imagine some extenuating circumstances where you could at least potentially justify it, especially because, as the bar has said now, it's not entirely clear that people aren't on notice that things are being taped all the time. Ben and Rebecca, let me ask you to uh, hold on for just a minute. We're going to come right back. We need to take a break at this moment to uh, hear a word from our commercial sponsor, and we are going to be right back to continue this discussion of the Cohen recording. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with me today is Bob Ambrosi, my co-host, as well as attorney and professor Rebecca Rofi from the New York Law School and attorney and professor Ben Gershman from Pace Law. Prior to the break, we've been discussing the Cohen tapes and the ethical issues involved with attorney Cohen's taping of President Trump before he became President Trump. And uh, we've discovered today that there are some news articles that have come out about uh, Omarosa, Trump's White House assistant, will be revealing some tapes. We've been discussing in Private Citizen. So, Bennett, what's your thought about the newest revelation? I think there are going to be many, many more tapes from Cohn and from other people. Uh, and uh, Omarosa, I didn't read that story, so I really don't know that I have enough information to comment on it. What I wanted to say before was that I think it's an important question whether Cohn was acting as Trump's lawyer during this conversation, because certainly if he wasn't acting as Trump's lawyer, providing legal advice, then a number of issues involving attorney-client privilege and conflicts of interest and so on, I think, uh, go away. He's still a lawyer, and he's still a subject to uh, the ethics uh, you know, that, that lawyers have to follow. But if there wasn't an attorney-client relationship here, then you have a very different um, kind of an analysis that I, I think you need to make. But that's just you know, one question that I think hovers over a lot of Cohn's dealings with Trump. Was he acting as, a, as his lawyer? Was he acting as his a fixer? you know, his deal maker, whatever. Was he rendering legal advice or was he doing something else? Are you also suggesting that the reason he was making the recording might be relevant here? In other words, if he were doing it to protect himself, that's one thing. Uh, if he were doing it just, just to take notes, say, just as a way of taking notes or recording the conversation, would, would that be less bothersome to you? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think if he had a perfect memory uh, and he was just doing it to remember the conversation, uh, he's taping it so that he could more accurately remember the conversation. But, I mean, if it's clear that he's doing it to, to protect himself, to serve his own self-interest, I think that's a, a graver consideration here. I think so, yes. The reason is, I think, would be relevant. One of the things we alluded to earlier in this uh, recording, in our recording here today, uh, is this question of whether this recording provides some 
evidence, perhaps, uh, violations of campaign finance law. And, and Bennett, you, if I heard you earlier, you were saying you, you think it might. How is that? What, what is your perception on this? Yeah, You have a payment that was made that was intended to, I think, benefit Trump's campaign. It was money that was paid in order to silence somebody who might very well have spoken out and embarrassed Trump in his run for the presidency. So, I mean, if you can see this as a campaign contribution, and that was the government's theory in the John Edwards prosecution, I think this case is, is much stronger than John Edwards. If you can see that payment as a campaign contribution or something like a campaign contribution, then you have you have the National Enquirer, you have Donald Trump, and you have Michael Cohen all working together to engineer this payment and to keep this payment quiet. And we know that the National Enquirer was supposed to make the payment and then kill it, kill the story. Catch and kill is the new phrase that we're learning about. And so you could see this as a conspiracy to violate the campaign finance laws. And uh, I don't think that's such a reach. You know, again, we have to make sure we, you know, all the facts are in place. But I mean, I think that's a theory that to me is plausible. Rebecca, we've seen Bennett and and Bennett has hinted at uh, more tapes to come. And if you've read through the transcripts, it's not too far of a stretch to imply that there are more women than Stormy Daniels that have been paid off by Trump and that could easily speak out against him for similar types of things. What what's your sense of what's down the line? What are what's the future of what we're going to be seeing in these tapes? I mean, first of all, I don't think the campaign finance question is quite as clear cut as that. I think the question hinges on the, I think the statutory language is purpose. And I think Trump's defense that I was doing it to protect my wife from this is not frivolous. It's, you know, pretty good. Um, Of course, there are things about the timing that make it questionable, but that's one problem. The second problem with the payment to National Enquirer is there's a media exception to campaign finance. So obviously you can make the argument that the National Enquirer doing a catch and kill was not acting like a normal news outlet. But at the same time, there are some things out there. And I think that factors into Giuliani being able to, being willing to waive the privilege and also Cohen wanting to bring this forward. I don't think that this campaign finance thing is going to be the central issue in the Michael Cohen case. I think there are far broader, far bigger crimes that have been committed, and that if they got that search warrant, it wasn't for the campaign finance question alone. So that's, first of all, um, my thought. Second of all is there very well may be other women out there. I'm not sure how important it is. Again, there are two battles being fought. One is a public relations battle, and the other one's a legal battle. From the legal perspective, it's this question of the hush money and whether or not it's a campaign finance violation. But again, you know, it's a plausible defense to say, look, I didn't want my wife to know. And even if I'm paying in cash, it's because I don't want her to see that I'm paying women who I was having an affair with when I had an infant child at home. And second of all, you know, I just, I'm not, you know, I'm not 100% sure that the public at this point, the people who care about this kind of thing care about it, and the people who don't, don't. And I don't know in terms of the public whether it's going to make that much of a difference. So, you know, maybe once the straw falls that's going to break the camel's back, maybe, you know, then it'll suddenly, this will suddenly matter. But at the moment, it just seems like this is one among many revelations that don't seem to change his base and their opinion of him. And if anything, make them feels a stronger need to protect Trump against this elite, democratic, coastal world coming after him. So 
you know, I'm not sure, even if there are many more to come, that this is what's going to turn public perception. So he's winning the PR war, <laughs> if, if not necessarily the legal I war. I think he's losing the legal battle, <laughs> but winning the PR war, yeah. Uh, it's amazing that we're, we're sitting here talking about the president's, you know, payoffs to, to uh, Playboy uh, models and, and lawyers recording the conversations and everything. It's all casually a discussing. Right. Casually discussing. Yeah. And don't forget, look, there are lawsuits right now. Trump may be deposed in any of these lawsuits. It's not, you know, seems to me plausible. You know, it's not just the tapes that Trump is going to have to worry about. You have to worry about litigation here. Are we seeing the, is this a, it's what you call a Teflon Dawn effect? I mean, what, what is happening here? In terms of the public relations? Yeah, in terms of Trump being able to scoot by on the public relations, but, you know, as you say, Rebecca, potentially losing the battle on the legal side. I think you can explain away a lot of Giuliani. I mean, look, Giuliani himself has behaved in a crazy sort of way as an attorney, and people who are interested in attorney's ethics, you know, our minds are spinning. But at the same time, if you look at it from a different perspective and say, you know, Giuliani is kind of playing his own role in this public relations battle where he's just undermining every moment he's out there. If you think about it, it's not about the law. It's not about the legal argument. He's just after the public and the public sympathy. And if you look at it that way, it's not as crazy what he does on behalf of his client than when you look at it in terms of the legal jeopardy he seems to be putting his client in. It's more crisis management than it is legal advice. I don't buy it that that he's winning the public relations battle. If you look at the election returns yesterday, it's not that clear that Trump is winning over lots and lots of uh, independent voters or, you know, come on. I, I think he faces a lot of a lot of jeopardy, whether it's uh, in politics as well as in law. Maybe, but his approval rating among Republicans remains remarkably high. Yeah, but you know, that's why the, in, in the Georgia race, in the Ohio race yesterday, it's too close to call. I mean, that that was a seat that was up for uh, you know forty years Republican. Trump goes in there, and uh, you know it's now a toss up. So I, I don't give him a lot of points for that one. Maybe it's fair to say that he's, he's losing uh, losing some of the public relations battles and winning some of them. Because, I mean, on, th- on this battle, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people who care a lot about it. You, you don't, I mean, among on the PR side, it just seems that this whole issue of, of payoffs uh, and the timing before the election and whether this was something done to influence uh, the election, it's getting media coverage, but I don't know that it's having that much impact on, on the public overall. And uh, I think there I would tend to agree with Rebecca on that. But I think it has had some impact on the public. I think people see this as sleazy, as tawdry, as Trump uh, behaving as a, uh, you know, somebody just doesn't have the moral character that, that we'd like in the president. And I think it's really uh, having an impact. So I disagree with Rebecca on that one. Yeah, I hope so. Well, it looks like we just about reached the end of our program. So at this point, we'd like to take the opportunity to invite our guests to share their final thoughts and give their contact information so our listeners can reach out uh, if they have some questions and want to follow up with you. So, Rebecca, let's turn to you for your final thoughts and contact information. Yeah, I mean, my final thoughts on this are, you know, there are a lot of lawyers who are in the news nowadays and people have their eyes on them and tend to 
point fingers at them and accuse them of unethical conduct. And there are certainly cases in which everybody is right. But I think we ought to be careful about doing that before all the facts come out. It's, you know, not clear. And if Michael Cohen really was, did do this all the time and most of his clients knew about it, then there's no problem with it. And I think, you know, we should just be careful about pointing fingers without all the full information. And in terms of the bigger issue, I think we should just wait for the prosecutors to do their job. In the Michael Cohen case, my guess is there are much more serious crimes that are being investigated and that will end up being charged in that case than this that will have potentially a bigger impact, both legally and in terms of the public relations battle. And please follow me on Twitter. My handle is at R. Royfe, and I tweet about um, these issues, lawyers' ethics, prosecutors' prosecutorial ethics, the Mueller investigation, the Cohen case. So, um, so follow me on Twitter, and thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been wonderful talking to all of you. Uh, I don't know that Michael Cohen is as big news in the Midwest as he is in New York, but I think it's a very, very big deal that a lawyer is taping his client. I don't think I've ever seen it before happen that way. Um, and I think it's going to have an impact. It's going to have more of an impact. And, and the sleazy conduct involving uh, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal and dozens and dozens of other people, I, I think it's going to have an effect. I, I think uh, you know Trump is in far worse shape today than he was uh, two years ago. And um, I, I think this is something that's not just uh, minor news. I, I think it's important. And so I, you know, I'm going to be following it. And uh, if anybody wants to follow me, I don't tweet. I don't tweet. I don't have a Twitter account or anything like that. I have an email account, bgershman at law.pace.edu. That's about it. Well, thanks a lot to uh, both of you, uh, Rebecca Royfe from New York Law School and uh, Bennett Gershman from Pace Law. And uh, really appreciate each both of you taking the time to share your thoughts with us today on this issue. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, that brings us to the end of our show. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com where you can leave a comment on today's show and sign up for our newsletter. And Bob, this is Craig Williams with our co-host Bob Ambrosi. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer. Produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.